Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good evening. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where we find ourselves this evening in our study of the one another commands. one we're dealing with tonight uh, doesn't really need to be a one another command, but we will see why it is a one another command. Um, I'll read for you from verse 5, but our focus this evening is verse 9, or verse 9 and 10 uh, of Colossians chapter 3. Let me read God's word. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful passion, evil desire, and greediness, which is idolatry, because of which the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once lived when you used to live in them. But now you also, you also lay aside all these things, Anger, rage, wickedness, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another because you have taken off the old man together with his deeds and have put on the new man that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, Slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word. This evening we're going to talk about lies and deceit. And of course, in our text, it's the prohibition to lies and deceit to one another. If you think about the subject of lies, deception, untruths, exaggerations that really cross the line of being called unfruitful, we must first admit a very obvious thing. And that is, in our culture, this practice of lying and deceit has pretty much lost all of its disgust factor. People do not mind lying, right? That's one, that's one thing among many that people, it's just... It's an accepted thing. We don't, we don't think, in our culture at least, here in the metropolitan city, we don't think of lying, uh, that lying is as bad as adultery. Or uh, that lying is as bad as murder or anything like that. It is, when we think about lying, it is much lower down in all the worst things, and certainly all the things that make you a bad person. 
Now, in fact, in many cases, lying is seen as a legitimate means to an end. Right? In many ways, lying is seen as something that you use, something that you can utilize to get what you want. We all know that a, a, a good lie uh, is useful to get you out of trouble. Right? A good lie, well placed at the proper time, in a proper moment, can get you whatever it is that you want. Um, that's what lie it is, and so and lying is, and so because of this, uh, because of this utility of a lie, people lie all the time. William Plummer once said that no wickedness on earth is more common than the various forms of deceit. When we're talking about lying, we're not just talking about the fact that you told an untruth. We're talking about a whole posture of trying to muddy the waters to make something that is this look like something else. When you're in a situation and you're trying to twist the situation, trying to twist the words in such a way that while this is what was true, you're trying to muddy the waters in the other person's mind such that in their mind, there are other possibilities of what's true. So it doesn't necessarily have to be very clear-cut that you tell a lie. It could also just be a form of manipulative deceit where you try to change what the truth is in another person's mind. Lies, of course, can be big or small. And in each category, people feel that those lies have their place. A lie can be a big thing, like, for example, when someone lies on their tax returns. That's a big thing. That could have some serious consequences. But other lies seem smaller. And listen to the Merriam-Webster definition of what a white lie is. A white lie is a lie about a small or unimportant matter that someone tells to avoid hurting another person. Did you notice that? That's a white lie. I just said something to avoid hurting you. That's why you didn't need to know the truth. So I just threw this little bone here so that you, can, you cannot be hurt. It's actually really for your good. You should actually thank me that I lied to you. That's what a white lie is. But once you realize that avoiding hurting another person can have a wide array of applications, that's when you start to see that there's no such thing as a white lie. Is it still a white lie if it is said by a cheating husband who is trying to, quote, avoid hurting his wife by not telling her that he's cheating on her? I'll leave that to you. You be the judge. See, what is more accurate here is what Thomas Southern said, that lying is a certain mark of cowardice. When you don't want to deal with the implications and the effects of the truth, then you lie. When you don't want to deal with where the truth leads, then you lie. You don't want other people to know what the truth actually is, especially in the church, so then you lie. It's cowardice. It's cowardly. It's not courageous. It is not virtuous. It is not trying to save another person hurt. It's not trying to protect an institution. It's not trying to... It's not good. There's no description of a lie that can be said to be anything that is positive in any shape or form. Lying is cowardice, is evil, and God hates it. And this evening we're going to examine together the reasons that Paul gives here in this text 
as to why we are to embrace truthfulness and stay away from lies, especially from lying to each other here in the covenant community. Of course, this goes outside the covenant community. It doesn't mean that, okay, just don't lie to the people in the church, but you can lie to whoever else. No, the, the reasons are showing us everything here. So let's read verse 9 and 10 again, and I'm going to show you the first thing here. The first thing that he says as to why we are to stay away from lies is that, number one, lying is a characteristic of a wicked person. Lying is a characteristic, a mark of a wicked person. Look at what he says. Do not lie to one another because you have taken off the old man together with his deeds. Did you see that? You have put aside the old man. You have put off the old man with his practices. It says in the ESV, you have put off the old self with its practices. Lying belongs to the old self. Lying is a practice of the old self. And so you and I, as those who are born in Christ, must put off lying because it belongs to the old self that Paul tells us has been crucified with Christ. You see, when you want to find the DNA of a wicked, unrighteous, crooked person, if you want to try and figure out, is this person wicked, unrighteous, or crooked, the safest place to check first is the content of their lips. Scripture says that throughout the Scripture. The Proverbs talk about how what, you, what we're saying is a reflective of what we, what we are. The Lord Jesus, of course, has that famous phrase, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're trying to figure out if someone is wicked, crooked, entirely uh, unrighteous, you'd look at their mouth. So I want you to consider this. Consider that if you love lies, if you love deceiving and getting your way, then perhaps your heart is full of unrighteousness. Consider that if you are a bona fide liar, that you, it is for you, lying is something that you always do, that your problem then is bigger than the circumstances that led to your lies. See, we often say that we lied because we were in a particular situation, yeah? But that's not the case. The issue is not the situation. The issue is that you are a liar, which means you have unrighteousness in you. It's not that it was impossible for you to not lie, but rather that your relationship with righteousness is such that lying is always an option for you. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ for two seconds. The Lord Jesus Christ walking on earth. His relationship with his righteousness was such that lying was never an option for him. It, he's so, he is so after righteousness. His mind is so much about God and what God does that he has no category, he has no time for lies. And the problem with us is that there is such unrighteousness in us that of all the things that are on the table when we're faced with whatever situation, lying is an option. And that is a problem. And I want you to, to consider this, particularly if you are a, what we, what we, can, what, uh, uh, we can call a, 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 someone who lies often. 
right? A pathological liar, always lying, always deceiving. Whenever there's a situation in front of you, you're always deceiving. I want you to think of this, that there is a possibility that there is no welling up of righteousness in you such that when in each time an opportunity for a lie presents itself, you are even sick at the thought. If you love lies, if you have a consistent relationship with fibbing, then you must realize that something is terribly wrong. Now, I'm talking here specifically now to someone who is considering what's the state of my heart. Well, you must know that if lies, if you, you can't just look at, say, I haven't destroyed, I haven't done this big thing and that big thing and that big thing, so I'm fine. If your relationship with lies is one of a chomi, with lies, that is indicative of something wrong because a lie is a characteristic of a wicked person. A lie says there is wickedness alive here. You have to consider that. And perhaps not all is right with your soul. And perhaps you need, perhaps it is possible that if you have such a strong and close relationship with lies all the time, it is possible that you do not know the Lord. Even though you've been able to polish everything else about your life, it is very possible that you do not know the Lord if you are consistently always lying. Now, the other element to this is that lies are a tool used by the wicked. You see, he says that we have taken off the old man together with his practices, with his deeds. Okay? A lie is a tool in the hand of the wicked. Like an axe in the hand of a carpenter, so is a lie in the, tool, in the, is a lie in the mouth of a wicked man. Wicked man sees lies as tools. And so not, so not only do lies come out of him like carbon dioxide comes out of our mouth, our mouths, but also lies are a key utility in what he does. The dead man in us is not about healing and restoring relationships, but he is about destroying them. The entire concept of the one another's is to show us our duty to each other. And our duty to each other is that we do not speak to each other that which is harmful. And I want to show you that there are three ways in which a lie destroys relations in the church. Each time a lie is spoken from one Christian to another, this is how it destroys and soils everything. Number one, we're told that when we speak to each other, Paul says in, in, in Ephesians, when we speak to each other, we must not have any corrupting talk coming out of our mouths. But rather, we must speak that which is to build up and encourage the other person. Well, a lie does not benefit the other person. Right? A lie does not benefit the other person. It is, a, it is, it is poison. Even though there, it seems like everything is fine, what it is doing is that it is hurting. Because that person has just consumed a product of the fall. That person has just imbibed and taken to heart something that comes from the pit of hell, does not come from God. It does not have any sanctifying effect on them. Whatever the lie is, however, you think the, however small you think the lie is, that lie does not purify, edify, encourage the other person. It does the opposite. Because now that person has imbibed a lie. Second, a lie poisons the one who speaks it. 
That's how it destroys the relationship, because it poisons the one who speaks it. And how does a lie poison you when you speak it? It gives you that relief of getting away with something. Do you know that relief of, of getting away with something? So here you are, you're in a situation, you didn't do something that you were supposed to do, and then somebody asks you about it, and then you, you, you figure out a quick lie, you say it, and then the person says, oh, okay, shame, sorry, brother, okay. Then the person moves on. Then you're like, whew, he didn't find me out. You have just gotten satanic relief. You've just gone to Satan's therapy room. And he has given you therapy and he's given you his, his, his ways of calming you down and helping you to relax. It is not God who's done that relief. It is Satan. That relief that you get from getting away with something, that is a satanic relief. It is much better to be in a burning room with your skin being singed than to enjoy another moment of the satanic relief that you get from lying. The third way that a lie messes up relations in the church is that a lie offends the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is offended, because He is offended when we lie, well, what do you think is happening to us? See, though we, we are those who are supposed to not quench the Spirit, not to resist the Spirit. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. But whenever we offend Him and offend Him and offend Him, that hurts our sanctification, which is going to feed back into our relations in the church. That is why Paul says, do not lie to one another, because it belongs to the old man. It is a, a tool of poison that belongs not in here. In here, what belongs here is truth. And transparency. That is the first thing that Paul says is that we are to put it off because it doesn't belong here. Um, it does not belong to us because it does not benefit the other person. It poisons the one who speaks it and it offends the Holy Spirit. Well, now let's come to the second reason that Peter say that Paul says rather that we are that we ought to not lie for. Look at verse 10. Um, well, let's start from verse 9 again. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You have put on the new self. And this new self is being made into the image of God. This new self, this new person that is being made in us, that is being fed in us, by the Holy Spirit that is being shaped out of us, that is being carved out of us. This new person, this new man, is a glorious man. He hates sin. He loves God. He loves truth. He loves the Word of God. This new person, or this new man or woman, okay, uh, with this, this new being that is, that is being formed out of us because of Christ, that's a holy being. That is a being, that is the being that will be in heaven forever. And I want, you, I want you to listen to some proverbs. Listen to these proverbs that describe that new man that is in us. Listen to these proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. That new man, his thoughts are just. But the counsel of the wicked are deceitful. Proverbs 14, verse 5. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. That new person, he is a faithful person. 
He's a trustworthy person. The new person that we're told to put on, that person is a trustworthy. You can trust him with your life. Proverbs 13, verse 5. Listen to this. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and is disgraced. The righteous hates falsehood. This new person that is being made within us, he entirely and completely hates falsehood. He cannot stand it. That is why he struggles. See, in Galatians 5, in Galatians chapter 5, we're told why there is this struggle within us. Paul says that there is the flesh, the dead man that we just described earlier, and then there's this new man who's being made in the who's being made by the Spirit, and they're constantly at odds with each other. And Paul says in Galatians 5, such that we never get to do what we actually want to do. Because they're always at odds, the flesh and the one controlled by the Spirit. And so, dear saints, I want to bring to your attention um, that if you find in yourself a love for lying, you need to deal with it because it is not a part of your new true identity. It's not a part of the family practice. It's not who you are. It's part of the dead man. It's not the new thing that God is creating in you, the new man, the new person, this glorious being who will be with Christ, who will reign with Christ, who will judge the angels. That's not him. When you participate in lying, you're participating in the filth of the person who necessitated Christ dying. So we need to fight, dear saints. We need to deal with lies. We need to deal with every desire for lying that rises, in us, that rises up within us. We need to deal with every inclination to lying. We need to really study within ourselves what causes us to lie. And we need to fight head on with this thing because it is not truly who we are. And the third reason that is here. The first reason is that lying is part of the old man. And that man has been put off. The second reason is that he's not, lying is not a part of the new man that we are. And the third reason is that lying is unlike God. Lying is unlike God. Read verse 9 and 10 again. Do not lie to one another because you have taken off the old man together with his deeds and have put on the new man that is being renewed in, the no, in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The new man is not just being recreated into the image of an angel, is not being recreated in the image of Adam even. The new man is being renewed in knowledge so that the new man looks like God. We are not to lie because we are being made into the image of him whom lying is completely unlike him. See, when God speaks a word, my friend, like you and I know, nothing is more trustworthy. When God says a word, there's nothing more trustworthy. When God speaks a word, nothing is less deceitful. When our God makes a promise, you can bet your entire life on that promise. Because that is the nature of our God. He says in the scriptures, is God like a man? Is God a man that he should lie? Lying is so far away from him. 
Lying is as far away from him as death is. Lying is so far away from him as being tired is. Lying is so far away from him as being hungry is. He's not a man. He does not lie. And so our task is to see to it that we are like him. That we are constantly thinking like him and constantly wanting to be like him. Constantly working towards being like him. And I think an important area for us to think on when we're talking specifically about this subject of lying is the area of his affections. Okay? His desires. What he, what he likes. What he loves. That's a better word. What he loves. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19 says this. You can write this down, you can turn to it, if you like. But, but I want you to notice what Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. When the, pro- when the writer of Proverbs wants to write in poetic prose six, nay, seven things that God hates, there's one sin that appears twice. Lying. He says in verse 17, haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Then he talks about hands that didn't shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plan, feet that make haste to run to evil, and then then lying comes back, a false witness who breathes out lies. Twice lying comes out when we're talking about things that are an abomination to the Lord. Do you understand what the word abomination means? It's the thing that God, it's the highest word in the Hebrew language for hate. It's a very strong, very sharp word. He dis- this thing repulses him. It, it makes him gag, figuratively. It doesn't, of course, make him gag, but you understand what I mean? It makes him gag. He cannot handle these things. To look upon them, to look upon them, he hates them. And lying comes twice. When we want to be like God, we ought to move, we ought to pray that the Lord makes us more and more like Him. That even the thought of a lie, when I'm in a bind, even the thought of a lie, so that I can advance, or even the thought of a lie because of a situation that I'm in, and it would be really nice to add this extra information that's not true. Whatever reason it is that we lie for, even the thought of that would make us want to gag. That's what we want. We want lies to be an abomination to us, like they are an abomination to the Lord. Dear saints, how do we do this? How do we avoid lying to one another? How do we do it? I think I'm just going to leave you with this verse. Turn with me to Proverbs 16, verse 6. I'm going to leave you with this verse to chew on. We can say a lot with regards to how can we try and not be more lies, but I think... For the purposes of our time this evening, I think this one verse, well understood, properly applied, might help us. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. 
By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Dear saints and beloved of God, we need to develop a healthy fear of God. We need to develop a healthy, abiding, day-to-day, hour-by-hour fear of God. We need to constantly think of our relation to God, that God has redeemed us in Christ, and that God hates lies. We need to constantly trying to cultivate an air around us of always thinking about God and His all-seeing eye. We need to be thinking and understanding that while we're able to deceive and confuse the people in front of us, God is not confused. That He sees right through our adding of words, our exaggerations, the way that we omit or add extra information so as to make the thing entirely untrue. We need to be constantly thinking that God sees right through that. In one sense, we could say, let us speak to people as if we're speaking to God. Let us constantly think God is here because He is. And that we can just just think, Lord, help me to speak always as if I'm speaking to you. You with your all-seeing eye. You who's not confused by me and my, and my wit. It's, it's going to be a challenge for us. And we need, the, we need to constantly be praying, asking the Lord to help us. We must know that the Lord is for us, not against us. We must be humble because we're told by James that in humility the Lord will give us grace. We must constantly be fighting this. Do not tell lies and do not even baptize your lies in Christian language. You need to hate your lies and always tell what is true. May God help us, saints. May God give us this grace. Even as there's always temptation around us to lie to one another and to lie to others. Oh, may God be gracious to give us truth-loving lips. In Christ's name, Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, who here can stand and say that they have not been tempted to lie and have fallen multiple times? When we consider this text and its requirements and demands on us, we must admit that apart from the grace of God, we would be so much worse than we are. And so we ask, Lord, for more of that grace, more of that grace. Help us, give us more. We do, there is no such thing as gluttony in your grace. Give us all the grace. Give us more grace all the time, every hour. Like the hymn writer says, we need thee every hour. In all circumstances, in all times, whether we're waking up and groggy in the morning or fresh after a nice exercise session, Lord, give us grace to walk always in truthfulness before you. And forgive us, Lord, for all the times when we have deceived, manipulated, exaggerated so so, so much that the thing becomes untrue. Forgive us, Lord, and give us the mind of Christ more and more to find lying abominable.
In his name we pray. Amen.